Okay, this morning on the podcast, I'd like to remind everyone that this is available on your iPhone and your Android through either the uh, iTunes Store or Google Play. So you can listen to it again. Um, You can always ask, and I am glad to forward it over to you. Um, Before we do start with tomorrow, I want to just remind everyone our book of the month will be Psychology of Selling by Brian Tracy. And um, Dick pretty much says it's a must-do, probably top five books for him. And uh, if that's the case, it probably should be a top five book for you too. Dick, I'll just turn this over for you and Jamar. Well, one of the things, uh, the secrets, Connie, is you're going to start hearing quite a few of my uh, sales meetings there. Oh, that's that's, that's so true. Okay. I do want to, uh, before Dick brings tomorrow on, I just want to go over his numbers real quick. I know I put it out in the email that came to you yesterday. but um, So Jamar started just about a year ago, um, I'm sorry, a month ago, August 6th, and uh, since then, Jamar has submitted 11 applications for $10,652. Now, roughly, just for math, I know Jamar has the whole numbers, but just for quick, easy math, Jamar has made earned over $5,000 this month, okay? Now, you know, different commission levels, different commissions on different products, a couple of those are not issue paid yet, but overall, uh, for a first month as a new agent, never having sold life insurance before, I say hats off to Jamar for those numbers, 11 applications, 10,652 APV. Would you agree, Dick? Not only would I agree, he also has another two or 3,000 coming on back-end money. So when you factor that in for a career change, those are quite impressive, to say the least. Not many people can make a career change, myself included, and earn that kind of money in the first 30 days. Um, Jamar had been managing a number of Verizon stores, which was those of you that joined the conversation heard us talking about that a minute ago. And uh, so he had success in that. But uh, from what I remember when we did the interview, this is a new career for him. Now, um, Jamar, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is we've got a lot of new people on the call today, and we've got people that have been with us for a while on the call today. And one of the things I think for a lot of people is to determine, why should I go over these cases with someone beforehand? I got it. Uh, what would you say, uh, what role did that play with you when you would set the appointment and then call me? and we would strategize a case before you called the people back for the actual appointment. Hey, everyone, can you hear me? Sure can. Okay. So, honestly, that was everything. I don't know where I would be at right now if I didn't do that with you every time. Uh, You guys pretty much gave me a clear uh, pathway to success with this, so I've just been following the script. And then, yeah, when I make the appointment, Clearly, at first, I had no idea which direction to go, but I wasn't worried about it because you let me know, hey, all I want you to do is get the appointment. Once you get it, you call me. And then when I would call you, um, you would always be ready to help me out and explain, hey, we should probably go with this company and this company. And at first, I was like, all right, I'll just do it. I'll figure out the why perhaps after the phone call. And then now that we've been doing it so many times, I'm like almost at a point where I'm like, 
I still want to call you and reach out to you beforehand, of course, till I get real solid. But I have been able to, in my head, be like, okay, before I call Dick, I think we should go with these two carriers. And then once I call you, um, you you tell me, and I'm like, okay, that matched up. So I just kept testing myself that way each time, and slowly I've been getting better at it. It's interesting you made that observation, Jamar, because I smile on the other end. Usually somewhere around the third week, I get the phone call, well, you know, Dick, I think we ought to go here. And in most cases, the agent is totally oblivious to the fact that they are now thinking on their own and figuring that out on their own. So uh, great great con, uh, comment there. Now, on the health questions, uh, as you and I both recall, you would set the appointment, but it took you about a week or 10 days to start really getting in to, to peeling the onion back just enough, not to interrogate, but to peel the onion back to, to get some of the health questions. How did the strategizing, because I would ask you, well, what's their occupation or what medication? Well, I didn't ask. How long they had it? How long was it before you started feeling comfortable drilling down a little bit on the health questions? Um, it It did take me a while at first because – at first, I saw the importance of the qu- the questions, but until you start doing the apps or until you bump your head and get some bruises on a customer who wasn't all the way uh, honest with the questions or maybe I wasn't um, as I wasn't reading it uh, to a T, the script, the questions, I wasn't reading them properly and taking it as serious as I should have because, yeah, I've had an application that I've had to work on three times because she wasn't exactly honest up front. And then with the MIB, they were like, oh, hey, she's not preferred. She's going to be standard because of this. So now, not only that, like now I'm taking those questions way more serious. I'm taking control. I'm the professional here. So you're going to, I mean, you, you should answer these questions for me. And now I go through them, and when I'm hitting each one, I already know, like, if they say that they have this or that at this point, that's when I know, like, okay, uh, I know what that's going to mean already in my head. So, I mean, I'm just getting more comfortable with it. It probably took me, like, two weeks, and right now I'm I'm super uh, comfortable with those questions. It's not even a big deal. And if you don't make it a big deal, then the customer won't. When it comes to the medications uh, that they're taking, I know at first I was like, why would anyone disclose that information? But if you own it and you're like, look, this is what I do, not a big deal, I don't care what you got, just let me know, I'm trying to help you. Well, that's a great attitude to take. Well, now let me ask you this. Have you seen kind of a pattern in the product selection of what we've done? And because once you start recognize the pattern you know, what we're trying to do through this process is change how people think. Watching that pattern of product selection, do you feel like that has been instrumental in narrowing down this field that looks like there's so many options, but when you see the pattern, there really aren't that many? Yeah, I have noticed a pattern. Uh, when I call you back with uh, the customer's uh, statistics, if you will, the numbers and uh, the things they got going on, I have noticed uh, a pattern of um, choices and companies and, like, uh, products that work out for most people. Well, let me ask you this. Now, Podcast 80, you and I have discussed that probably a dozen times or more. 
Uh, I feel like you're you're pretty well getting it now. Uh, but how long did it take you uh, to find or for it to resonate with you that the benefits of Podcast 80 really were good benefits for the client? I still listen to Podcast 80. And then when I heard uh, Podcast 80, I, the first time I called you about it, I was driving. And I was like, well, I got like a 20-minute drive. Might as well. I listen to podcasts a lot on my own time. So I was like, let me just listen to this one and try to grasp the concept. Listen to it once. I was like, okay, okay, listen to you kind of explain it with me and a customer one time, and I was like, okay, okay. And then I would, on my in my free time, I'll go on YouTube just looking up. I, I go on YouTube for everything. If I'm trying to get better at something, whatever it is, cooking something, doing something, sports, a video game I'm trying to get better at, and now this insurance stuff, I look up final expense and uh, just up and down try to understand it completely. And, uh, yeah, that definitely changed the game for me with uh, when I'm pitching it now. Because if you believe in the product a lot more and you can actually understand how it actually makes sense, I believe that you can sell it a lot better. Well, it was interesting. I remember one time you called me after an appointment, and I think it was a podcast 80. In fact, I'm almost certain it was, and you had you had gotten it. And you went through the three questions, if you die, who gets the house? Are they going to do like most kids and sell it? Does it make sense? And when you went through that, I could almost see your eyes bug out of your head like, oh, my gosh, it went down just the way you said it would. Um, on some of the advice we've gone through in those situations, and I say that because I know every time I, I do this with you as if we're in a laboratory. So, you know, everything is controlled and measured, but when we're on the phone with the client – they don't always play the game right. But on those rare occasions when you've been able to do it, uh, the recommendation that I gave you pretty much the way I gave it. Um, what has been your response to see what their response has been? It's kind of crazy because, um, like, like you guys said earlier, um, I used to manage Verizon stores. I was president's club every year, top 5%, 1% sales for the company every single year. So I was already talented and pretty good at sales. Then we had a, a company change. We got a new district manager at the time, and he came in, and he had a whole different script than I was used to. So I was always really good at selling things. Um, but this script that this guy had, who he was really successful at the company, uh, I'm just like an early adopter type of person. So if someone, t if this is my new management and they tell me to do something this way and just try it, I know it sounds crazy, it'll work. I just believe it. And I did it. And then I was even more successful with that business. So when I came over here and I knew that there was a script, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm real good with scripts. So then I got used to it. And when the customers actually respond perfectly to the script, I, I try not to lose my mind or get too excited because I'm sure they can tell that I'm losing my mind. Like, no way they just said exactly what it said in the script. And, okay, whatever, let me take it easy. And then I hit them with my next portion, and then they respond perfectly again. I'm like, oh, this is a home run. I've gotten to a point where I'm like, if they said yes to these two or the they said th what I wanted to hear with these lines of questioning, then I already know uh, they're probably going to be interested in what I got to to offer them. Well, uh, I, and I think that's the predictability about what that's predictability about sales. 
you know, if a person will set it up right, that will happen. I was curious, you had been very successful at Verizon. What made you feel that Equus and or life insurance would make you want to change careers? Well, um, just due to COVID, I'm sure a lot of people's uh, careers that they had at the time, things changed. But with COVID, for me, uh, I just noticed uh, a change in uh, employees' attitudes, the employees that I had working for me, and then the customers' attitudes. It changed quite a bit. It was just more sour and just like the in-person thing. People were really weird about it. Whether Wherever you fall on, on it, I just wasn't like – I just didn't like how people were treating each other. And um, and then, like, I've always been, like, in, like, the customer service hospitality industry, and I like to take care of people. But these people who I would like to take care of, they just kind of changed, you know, like their attitudes and whatnot. And uh, so the company as well – they changed our commission in a huge way. And I understand that just because we weren't seeing as many customers as we used to, and the world was confusing. We weren't sure how anything was going to be. So the company, they had to change our commission structure, but I'm like used to a certain thing. And honestly, I was already thinking about getting out because I'm, like I said, I've been at the top of Verizon. I was like, I've mastered this. Like I can sell phones and business accounts. I do that every day without blinking, and I got really lazy and comfortable with it, and I don't like getting comfortable, and we always preach at Verizon, like, getting our employees out of their comfort zone. So I was like, okay, I'll get myself out of this comfort zone, and I didn't really figure a way out of there. I, I would have ended up staying at Verizon, who knows, my whole life, but I've got family members that do some big things, and I'm just like, I can sell bigger products and things that are actually going to change people's lives a lot more than a cell phone. Your phone's important, but this is obviously way more important. So my aunt, she used to sell life insurance pretty pretty much my whole life. And uh, she used to try to get my mom involved. And my mom was never, always like too scared because she had two children, single mom. She was too scared to take that risk and do commission only. But my aunt, yeah, she had a better uh, situation with uh, being married and having that support system, still had kids as well, but she was commission only and she was doing the best in the family. Like I always look up to my aunt and uncle because they showed me how far you can get doing commission only type deals. And so I was like, you know what? I think this is a good time. I've mastered this. Let me try and go master this world as well and try to do it bigger than my aunt ever could do it. So she was super supportive of me doing this, it was scary at first, commission only, like you got to worry about this and that, but I'm, I'm all about taking risks. And like I said, I already know I'm a good salesman, so I was like, I can do this for sure. And at first, yeah, I was terrified. I was scared, horrible on the phone. I still think I'm. there's so much for me to learn still, but I'm just literally following the, the pathway that was set for me. I listen to every single thing that Dick and Connie tell me. I get on those calls every morning and listen to the live dials, I listen to those guys and gals do their phone calls, and I'm like, okay, I'm starting to understand it. And I'm just, I just absorb. Like I said, I'll go on YouTube, and I'm searching everything that I'm confused about, and I just sit there and absorb. Not a huge reader, but uh, movies, films, documentaries, videos, I can absorb that just as well as any book out there. Well, I'm encouraged hearing that. I was encouraged, too. The story about your Aunt Jamar really brought smiles to our faces. <laughs> well, you know, I think what happened, and this is unfortunate, uh, if I interpret what you were saying correctly, 
the sale of cell phones has become more transactional rather than a determine a need and satisfy a need. And when that happens, um, for a person like you or I, we want to live a life of significance. And I think most everybody on this call today is that way. I had an interview this morning with somebody, and, and we were going through what his life is like and everything. And I've had 87 families that did not lose their home nine months after the worst day of their life when they lost a loved one because of plans that I was able to put together for them. Uh, some cases, it was a final expense plan that made the house payment for six months or a year. Others, we paid half the mortgage off to lower the new payment to less than rent. And some cases, we paid the entire house off. But living that life of significance, and I think the transactional sale, fortunately for us, is the transactional sale for life insurance is a need by probably 80% of the people that buy life insurance. You know, the Internet sale of life insurance is transactional. This is what it costs. This is what we're going to pay. How much do you want? Most people don't buy our product based on that. They they literally need a a meeting of some sort to help them determine what they need. And and for people like us, that's what feeds us. That's what encourages us. I did want to ask you, um, you had a client, and I'm going to go through what it takes on a second to die for it to be appropriate. But a few two weeks ago, we had a training uh, with one of our carriers that talked about a second to die. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you uncovered that need, or did they just literally lead you there and didn't give you any choice on the need for a second to die? She led me there, honestly. Like, I was doing what I normally do, and I I always had this question in my head because, I remember it in the exam effects, like the studying and training. I always remembered hearing about the survivorship thing or and or uh, there was something else for when two business partners have a business together and they get insurance on each other. forgot what that one's called, but whatever. Bye. Um, I, mm-hmm. I remember hearing about that. And then I'm talking to this customer. Uh, I, I have a couple of numbers proposed for her. I can probably pull it up on my notepad here, but um, I did, I think it was a term 125 for her. And then um, uh, so, some, the same thing for him. And then I call her back for our appointment. Uh, we we start, I start asking her the questions about her kids and her family. And then I told I went over the the price points and the silver, the gold, and the bronze. And then she was all like, "That's actually pretty good." And she was like, "But and I was still new." She was like, "But so if if I die, I get this, or my husband gets this. What happens if he dies?" And I was like, uh, pretty sure we have to get him a plan too. And then she was like, well, uh, I mean, that's fine and all, but I, she, then she led me into the conversation of, um, she, we got on to COVID somehow. And then she started talking about family a lot. And this lady, she, her sister went into the hospital, uh, and because she had COVID and they were all visiting her and hanging out with her. And the doctors pretty much made it seem like she would recover. She'd be okay. But next thing you know, 
she died, unfortunately. And so her husband was left uh, to deal with these situations that apparently happened more than uh, you really know about before you join this business. But um, so, yeah, he's going through that. So that's the whole reason she even inquired uh, on our uh, mailer uh, to, to get this done. And so she was, we start talking about that. She starts talking to me about like my mom and my family and how uh, I need to be like cherishing my family members or people in my life. And like, cause you never know when someone's going to die and no one dies at the right time. And we were just going in on that concept for a super long time, but we all wrapped up to a point where she was like, but Jamar, I know you got a lot of phone calls to make. I appreciate you for even spending 30 minutes with me to talk. I know you don't have to do this. And I was like, no, I like your energy. Like you're a, a sweet lady. I can tell that you actually care about people. You're, you're making me feel like you care about me. And then, um, we get onto the point of she's like, I like the numbers, but I'm wondering, uh, is there something that can take care of both of us under one policy so that if I die, he gets something, and if he dies, he gets something without us having to have two separate policies because they already have life insurance, if you will. They have a certain amount for, uh, for each other, but that was to take care of the house. What she wanted was, or vice versa, she had something for the kids, but what she was saying is she doesn't want that money to go straight to the mortgage, and then the kids have the house paid off cool, but they have nothing that their parents were able to leave behind them, uh, behind for them. She wants their kids to have like a couple hundred thousand each on top of the house being paid off uh, for them to be taken care of um, when they pass away. Because they have a few health issues, and with COVID, and like we just talked about, she had her sister that had passed away. She's really thinking about like, this can happen at any time. And then I started telling her what my aunt was able to do for her kids and the type of insurance policies and how her kids are already set up. And I'm like, okay, I'm trying to do something like that too. And so, yeah, now that I'm officially ready to get that one done, I think we'll be taking care of closing that this week. Well, I'm going to ask you to close out in just a minute on some advice you might give somebody. But before we do that, to give you a chance to think about that, I wanted to go through where a second to die is a good fit because this is not something that we're going to write a lot of. It might be one out of 20, one out of 50 applications you take. You'll run across somebody where it is a good fit. So I wanted to kind of give everybody the parameters, and, and Jamar had a perfect scenario for that. They had insurance to cover the mortgage, but they want to leave an estate for the kids. So when is a second to die a good fit? Well, uh, when you've got higher net worth clients, and I don't mean rich, they're not wealthy, but they're higher net worth. You know, these are people that have some assets that they want to make sure are not eaten up through probate taxes and that sort of thing. Uh, a good place for this is when one person healthy and the other is not. You know, um, they they want when they're both gone, they want something to go on to the family. So they underwrite a second to die based on the health of the healthiest person. So if the healthiest person dies, the insurance company still is not going to pay until the unhealthy one dies or vice versa. So it gives you a chance to pass something along when it's appropriate without penalizing them because they have someone that's unhealthy. Uh, another uh, ingredient you need in this is they both have to have incomes to maintain the home or the property if either of them pass. 
So a second to die is not good when you've got a wife or a husband that is unhealthy, but the other person provides all the income. Because if the wrong one dies, this thing is worthless to them. They need to continue making payments. So there are some parameters here that we need to pass the smell test, so to speak. Um, they truly want the property to go to the next generation or to a specific person, and both of them can make the mortgage payment. So when that second person dies, that triggers the death benefit. Now, these plans do not have living benefits in them. They're not designed to cover living benefits. They're designed to pass a, a, a lump sum of money to another generation to a party outside of the specific need there. So when you understand some of this, you know, we used to have people when we first started, I don't know why they heard training about IULs. So if both people had cancer, they're, oh, they're a perfect candidate for an IUL. I've never understood where that line of thinking came from. They're unhealthy. They can't get insurance. An IUL is underwritten just like everything else was. So I never understood where – and I would – I must have had 50 over the course of a year, uh, one age in particular. Oh, yeah, these people are perfect IUL candidates because she had cancer. What? What's that got to do with it? You know. So everybody, this is not a perfect product for everybody. However, when it is appropriate, it's going to be a fairly high premium. So it allows you maybe once a month or once a quarter to pick up a three or four or five thousand dollar premium, so it can can help you there. Now, um, this is a perfect scenario to <coughs> excuse me to use for retirement solutions. You know, this is a case here where you can make a fifteen hundred or two thousand dollar commission as a share. So this is a, a case here where that Robert and I both would be a very good person to do these for you until, and you may never want to take the time to become that good at this because there is going to be a learning curve, but it's a great thing to hand over to pick up a nice commission and you not waste time. I mean, we talk about this a lot, that 20% of our clients a lot of times take 80% of our time. And that 20% or that 80% that are taking all your time will represent 20% of your income. So we're trying to get the agent in that situation where they're not being tied up, not making money. Some of you wonder why we don't sell standalone disability income because it takes so much time and energy to get one of those things issued we're better off to find an agent that specializes in it that we can hand it off to. Even in, I, I even have cases where I didn't get any commission out of it. I just didn't want to fool with it because I didn't want to waste my time. I could have made a lot more selling mortgage protection. So these are some of those cases. So, um, again, it's a great opportunity to pass it off to another person that will help you make that sale. And yeah. generally, you know, this is nuts and bolts, mostly for basic insurance. Yeah. We do want to pass along when um, Jamar had pretty much the ideal situation. And as a new agent, he in the beginning, he just really, he knew he had something, but he didn't know what he had. 
So here's the deal, like Dick said, you know, Jamar's going to be able to do this to himself because he's become a real uh, student of the business. But for somebody that's doing this part-time, you're better to pass this off to somebody and take a split commission than to try to jump through all the hoops and spend 80% of your time on 20% of the clients. So, yeah. Yeah. If we were if we were writing one of these a month, that would be a different story. But one or two a year, that's a great case. I did want to um, ask uh, Jamar, what would be one bit of advice you might give to a new agent or even for someone that's been around a, long, a while because you're looking at our business through fresh eyes, what would you like to share in closing? Okay, in closing, let's see what I would suggest. Okay, so if you're early, early on, yeah, you're going to be bad. And that first day on the dialer, uh, if you're anything like me, your anxiety is going to be going through the roof, and you're going to think about, man, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I should just quit. Forget this. Let me go get an hourly job again. At least that will be there for me. I would just suggest try to shut all of that up out of your mind. Just get it out of there. You can think it as much as you want, but eventually you will get there because I felt so scared and I wanted to quit so many times early on. Now, luckily, I was a little bit more used uh, to getting the word no than most of you guys if you didn't come from a sales background. So no's don't bother me as much. But even still, that those first couple days on the dialer, I was like, oh, my God, I don't think I can do this. But then I just kept uh, listening to everyone else on the phone call. I listened to Carrie and Robert, and I'm like, you know what? And then I look at Mariana or Marsha, what they're doing. I'm like, if they're doing this that well, I can I can probably at least get up there somehow eventually. So I was like, I'm going to just stick to this and just keep learning, uh, like absorb everything, copycat everything. When you're hearing them on these calls, I literally copy most of it. I, I uh, role-playing is huge. It was huge with what I did before. It's huge now. So I'll call Dick, and I'm like, hey, uh, can I hit you with the script real quick? And then he'll let me know your inflection isn't good right here. It ain't good right there. So it's basically about being coachable. Like, just just accept it. You're not the best. Even Kobe Bryant had a coach. You know what I mean? You're always going to need to get coached in some way, shape, or form. So, And then don't be afraid to have the stupid question. Raise your hand, and when I mean raise your hand, like if the, we're, when we're in those training sessions with uh, the newbies, ask those stupid questions. Don't be shy because I've asked every stupid question I can think of to Dick, to Connie, even if I felt like, man, this is dumb, I should know. I'm not going to assume anything. I'm just going to ask it. And um, what else would I say? Uh, I mean, just, just stick to it, and mainly the dials. You got to dial. I've learned that, and when I'm helping people get into this business now on my team, I'm gonna make sure they know. Like you're not, you're not gonna be successful if you're not dialing, because you're supposed to be messing up early on, so that you can uh, call your manager and be like, "Hey, I keep getting stopped here on the script, uh, and maybe just take the script in the, in in pieces." And, and call your uh, manager and let them know, like, I'm getting stuck here. What can I say here? Uh, if, if you're not going to be able to remember it or don't have a great memory, maybe write it down. That helped me a lot. Uh, I would say get a calendar. I got a whiteboard calendar. That changed the game for me. Ever since I did that, I've been way more on top of it. The emails uh, come in for your – when you get to the A leads, when those emails come in, it, sometimes it comes in really crazy. And then sometimes you're not going to remember – 
who I spoke to already uh, because it's not a mojo yet. And then when it finally gets in the mojo, you need to make sure that you get rid of those people out of the mojo, those A's, because you don't want to double dip on someone who told you to stop calling them or someone you already sold to. And that, that calendar, or if you're used to planners, I've, I had a planner in middle school, never used it. And, of course, I was not the best student in middle school because of that. I just can't trust my memory. I know that I don't have a great memory. So I know that writing it down, seeing it every day in an obvious place, a calendar, it, it changed my life dramatically. Um, so I, I'm sure there's so much more, but that's all I can really think of at this moment. Wow. The whiteboard, you know, it's funny. Uh, looking back, if I'd have had a day planner in middle school and high school, I think that could have changed my life. Uh, never even thought about it, didn't even realize people did that sort of thing, because most tests to me were surprise tests. <laughs> yeah. Oops, I forgot. That's today. Okay. Uh, I do. Uh, what you experienced, I want everybody on the call to understand this, what you experienced is natural and normal, the anxiety uh, the thought process that goes through your head about quitting. Um, the good news is, you know, when when you're on the Zoom, you may be thinking about quitting, and then you see somebody on the Zoom call that's no better than you, write three apps or four apps in one day, and you think, wait a minute, you know. So uh, now two days later, they may be ready to quit because they had a bad day, but they're going to watch you do two or three apps. So I want to say thank you, Jamar. Uh, great job today. I think what you shared will resonate with a lot of people, and I just want to say thanks. Thank you, sir. I thank you guys for this opportunity and everything you've been teaching me and uh, for what's to come next. Thank you, sir.